Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where we talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish a project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm, and let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Bob Miles, founder and CEO of Salad Technologies, which builds distributed cloud computing infrastructure by partnering millions of PC gamers and their idle PC resources. Bob will be talking about his journey, how he got involved with SaaS and Web 3.0, how he came up with the idea for his MVP, how he funded his MVP, and how he gained his first few customers to get from zero to product market fit and beyond. He's estimated around 400,000 MRR and beyond. How are you today, Bob? I'm very well, thanks, Geordie, and yourself? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, excited to talk about some crypto and blockchain stuff today with you. Why don't you start by describing what you do specifically? What pain specifically do you solve for your customers? Yeah, so, so we're a marketplace, uh, Geordie, and, and we're building distributed cloud computing infrastructure, uh, and it is a sharing economy model. So the, the pain point we're, we're solving long term is really our uh, insatiable need for computing resources. Here at Salad, we see uh, the commodities of the, the 21st century, this century being storage, bandwidth, and compute cycles and 90% of that resource sits idle, connected to the internet. Uh, Those are consumer compute devices. And so we're introducing a model that incentivizes individuals to share their compute resources when they're not using their computers uh, in return for for games, gift cards, subscriptions, uh, and other digital purchases. And then with that infrastructure that we're building, we plan to go head to head with the cloud providers and offer uh, spot instances. So spot cloud computing instances and the pain point we really solve is um, price. We can we can certainly compete on price. So there's a lot in that, um, Geordie, but yeah. that's sort of the high level problem we solve. Okay, so I'm a little bit familiar with the concept. It's one of the the examples I can that comes to my mind is SIA. Do you remember We'll see. I'm sure they're still around there. Like, um, they have sort of a platform that goes in and gets storage, right, from idle PC or from PCs that have some extra hard drive space. Is that sort of a similar model that that you guys are working on? Yeah, that's right, mate. And we we see the likes of SIA being very complementary to to our business. And you know, t- taking that example and looking at the broader landscape. You're exactly right. SIA is a P2P uh, file storage uh, uh, protocol, one of many. And the point at which we interact with these protocols is is really on the supply side. Uh, Here at Salad, we're introducing a new incentive model that solves the human problem of distributed computing and and actually resonates with, with millions of individuals. So if you take the example of SIA, um, you know, the value proposition is if you've got excess gigabytes of storage on your computer, uh, share those excess gigabytes in return for coins or tokens, SIA tokens, that are redeemable for the same resource that you have excess of, gigabytes mm-hmm. of storage. So we're wrapping that, introducing a new incentive model uh, and, and working with the likes of, of SIA and other protocols. Okay. So... Why don't you start with maybe start how you like got into this? Like, when did you sort of see that this was a problem 
and, and yeah, just sort of walk me through like the starting of uh, of where you guys came up with this idea or where you did. Yeah, so this is rewinding the clock four years. Not so long ago. Not so long ago. Um, I've got to admit, it's not it's not a unique idea. Um, quite a few people have have identified this same opportunity, uh, but it was actually my my old boss and I that kind of recognized the identity and uh, oh, sorry the opportunity and really that op- opportunity was the two-sided market problem being solved for distributed computing. And what I mean by that is back in late 2017, we had a real explosion in crypto prices. A lot of these crypto networks are powered or secured by proof of work, yeah. um, uh, crypto mining, basically. And so what that did was assign really interesting unit economics a price tag to every connected compute cycle. And in gaming PCs, this was really meaningful unit economics. We're talking 30 to 50 to $90 per month, depending on how powerful your, your GPU is, your graphics processing unit. And, and we recognize that the vast majority of gamers, 400 million gamers around the world with these powerful PCs were not tapping into these, these unit economics. And, and, you know, any rational actor that can make an extra 50 bucks a month should be. Sorry, so can so I was... just interject? We, are you talking about they were, because they weren't mining? They weren't actually mining? Is that what you're saying? Or That's right. Yeah, okay. so the vast so majority of gamers weren't mining. Your, client, your sort of target avatar then is these gamers that have these big, big, big gaming rigs that are not mining. Is that what you're saying? And you say, how can we tap into these guys and get them to mine? Mate, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we recognize an incredible amount of latent resources. We recognize there is paying demand for those resources in the form of proof of work mining. Uh, And we also recognize there was a big disconnect where the vast majority of gamers were not actually mining crypto. And three main hypotheses kind of formed around that Geordie. The, the first, which I'm sure you'll, you'll appreciate, um, it's changing now, but crypto, um, it, a lot of people think it's a virus. It's guilty by association from the early days, you know, Silk Road, uh, hackers, nefarious actors, uh, people people using Bitcoin as a, as a, you know, for criminal activity. So, so there's a hangover there. Yeah. That, that's now fast forward to 2022, rapidly changing. This, so an education opportunity there. The second hypothesis we came across was that a lot of gamers are just not that technically apt. You know, it takes a, a, a certain level of technical aptitude to actually extract that $50 a month from your computer. You've got to download libraries, configure them, join a pool. You've got the custody issues. You've got the tax issues. There's a lot of work involved to actually realize that that $50 a month okay. uh, within within the latent value of, of your, your computer. But the third thing that we recognize, the biggest hypothesis, and, and this is one I touched on just before, the value proposition wasn't there. You know, if you say to most gamers, run this library, run this application for a month, and you'll get 0.00083672 ETH or some other coin or token, yeah. uh, SIA, it, it simply doesn't resonate. Yeah. So, so if you wrap that in an incentive model, a pricing model that that is actually meaningful, uh, you know, install this application when you're not using a computer. You can turn that value into Netflix subscriptions, games, gift cards, and digital purchases. That actually resonates. And so, right. or so, say like it's some kind of cash in the game that they play. Yeah, in-game items, skins, in-game yeah. currencies. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, that makes it, and that's speaking their language, right? As you say, like fifty bucks a month is like, eh, you know, that's not that interest. You know, I mean, it's that sounds like it wasn't that interesting to the gamers. But if you said like, we'll give you a hundred in, in, in shark cash or whatever the the game is that they're playing, that's something that resonated with them. You said that other game, there was other uh, platforms that were doing this. When you came out with this idea, was no one else thinking of this, of this idea? There were 
we've been around for coming up on four years now or a little over four years and we've seen half a dozen very similar competitors come and go so it's not you know speaking honestly it's not the the um most profound of ideas here you know we we recognize the opportunity that is very easy to recognize uh, what it has come down to is execution and really focusing on what we call the human problem of distributed computing. You know, how yeah. do you motivate and incentivize individuals to share their compute? And it's not an easy task, Geordie. We, if you think about the internet today, we have, and the platforms that dominate, we've all been conditioned to have a very short attention span. Right, we just mm-hmm. scroll down, yeah. scroll, 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 scroll. Instant, immediate gratification. When it comes to our value proposition, we're talking five or six cents per hour. And so, if you try and onboard new users, they will watch the software for the first five minutes. They'll see a third of a cent, a tenth of a cent generated, and they'll immediately churn out. So it's a, it's a real product problem it's a human problem how do you motivate incentivize and retain individuals to to actually share their resources and so few people have tried we have a few competitors but but we're certainly the ones who have stuck around the longest okay and and i know in in four in four years in crypto time that's like you know like a century so congratulations (laughs) i think i think i think that you've done very well so so walk me through the tech. I mean, it sounds like a very challenging technical problem to solve. Is that is that correct? I mean, who's who's the CTO behind this this idea? Yeah. So so our head of engineering um, is Kyle, and and he he's he's one of a few. Uh, so he joined us about three years ago, two and a half years ago. We've also got Daniel, head of product. We had uh, our first developer, Tim. Um, all of them phenomenal engineers and and it is it is absolutely a challenge and and when i look at when i look at the competitive landscape over time all of the attempts at distributed computing one of the big failure modes we touched on before is the two-sided market problem crypto solved that for us but the other one geordie is fraud as soon as you introduce a model where people will get paid for their resources, uh, you have a fraud problem. And, and, yeah. and it's the same in other resource sharing economies. Uber's got a similar problem. Airbnb's got a similar problem. So a lot of work here, a lot of the challenge has been introducing this model in a way that eliminates the loopholes where it can be gamed and and thus you hemorrhage money through through fraud. Uh, so that's been a big part of the challenge the last few years. That is another big why now moment for Salad, because proof of work, uh, crypto mining, it is a trustless monetization mechanism, meaning that we can read on the blockchain or on the pool the exact contribution each node makes, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons that that we've not seen a distributed computing project hit critical mass in the past is, is because of fraud. And there's, but there's one exception to that. Perhaps you've heard of folding at home or SETI at home. These no. two projects. Uh-uh, I've so not these, heard of them. They, these are fascinating. These are, these these emerged in sort of the late '90s, 2000s. SETI at home was. Um, a bunch of people pooling their compute resources together to search for extraterrestrial life, crunching yeah. a bunch of data. Um, folding at home saw a huge, huge um, uh, growth during during the height of the pandemic. That is people donating their compute resources to, to do computational models of, of protein folding for, for various viruses and proteins and whatnot. Uh, but if you think about both of those models, they are altruistic actors, charitable actors, sharing their compute resources for a cause. Okay. Uh, no point in defrauding that, right? Yeah, so so yeah. the two big models that have really made it in the past have, have been these, these charitable networks. And, and we're now trying to introduce 
compute sharing model that appeals to the rational actor whilst combating fraud. So right. that, that is one of the engineering challenges can, here. Can you give, give me some examples? I would like to, you to break down that problem of fraud because you, you're mentioning it, but what exactly are they doing? Are they, how are they, are they sort of taking advantage of the system by, like, how are they doing? What's the fraud? Yeah, there's 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 so many different angles you, you can come come at it. As soon as you you offer um, payment, or it's not payment, it's 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 credit towards different rewards um, for the latent value of your computer. People will find a way to, to game the system. I'll give you an example from the early days, because yeah. from what I understand, you're very very interested in sort of MVP early day kind of yeah. kind of yeah. phase of startups. So I mentioned the three hypotheses that led to the formation of the company and, and the initial product, we wanted to test those hypotheses as quickly as possible. So what we did was hack together our MVP as quickly as possible with a few known loopholes um, and, and ship it and get it out to market, start getting some feedback from the users. And one of the things we, we, we did initially was relied on the client being the software that you install to inform us about how much that that node or that computer is generating in terms of value and so it did not take the internet long to figure out that they can spoof that endpoint they can basically fake that result and start feeding 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 incorrect earnings back to to our centralized platform which then okay. projected balance that, that was uh, undeserved. And so, and so you were actually paying that then. These are guys that are coming in and, and spoofing and saying that they had a much more powerful machine than they actually did. So they were faking outputs or something? Is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. F- faking outputs. Okay. So, that, I mean, that's one simple example. That's one where, you know, we squashed that pretty quickly, pretty quickly being, yeah. being a, a month or two to actually build out the back end and, and create a redundant, system for tracking value but uh, or now a primary system uh, but yeah we, we were able to solve that one relatively quickly without hemorrhaging too much cash okay um g- going back to the mvp you had the three hypotheses did you t- walk me through like how you tested these hypo- did you test all three of them or did you just what was the mvp like you know walk me through that like how long did it take it was you and your boss you started the mvp were you still working together at a company or did you leave at that time? No, no. So so I I left. So this is the type of idea that's only suited to venture funding. You know, it's a yeah. it's a it's a crash and burn or a um, a, a massive market. They they're kind of the, the the two alternatives for for this is there's no lifestyle business in between here. So yeah, yeah. I I left my old job um spent eight months fundraising and got an initial safe note investment eight months after after leaving so, what, so it where was a country long are we talking here are we in the u.s we're in america or... we're in oh america. you are okay but yeah, you're an aussie eh? you're yeah, an aussie don't let the accent okay yeah i'm <laughs> okay. an aussie yeah okay. this is in utah so so okay um, yeah this is in utah so a local vc firm so so the in in that eight months, I was also hacking together and, and working on the MVP, but um, really this required a couple of hires um, uh, in the form of developers to to properly bring bring this thing to market and test it. So, to answer your question, we raised an initial safe note, uh, made a couple of hires. It was about eight weeks after that that we bundled up those three hypotheses into a piece of software and brought it to market and and that's where we learned our first lesson okay first so lesson this go on just so, so just so i'm clear you raised you had nothing you went to the vcs with what like a white paper or how what was what were they actually investing in because you didn't have an mvp it sounds like no that's right we, we had a we had a, a pitch deck a business model an existing relationship with that vc and, and that was enough albeit after eight months of, um, of of showing meaningful progress, uh, but that was enough to, to get an initial check, a very small check to to um, get an MVP to market. Okay, what, like what size check? We talk, like five hundred thousand or 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had two, two different VCs, 300 each. Okay. And so you got, you, you got your, um, you hired three guys. How long did it take you to, um, develop the MVP then from that? Yeah. So, so we'd been during that eight months working and, and actually had already put some money in out of our own pocket to start breaking ground and getting, getting work done. But to, to answer your question, it was two months later. Two, 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 two to three months, months later. The, what was the crypto market doing? Because I remember l- roughly around this time, the market was kind of going crazy and then it was going into crypto winter, right? So where were you in relation to, to that cycle? Were you fundraising when it was peaking and then you launched when it was like crashing or what, what was the market doing? Yes, mate. Yes. The market was, was doing very unkind things to us. Um, we, it, it, it's remarkable looking back that, that we actually made it, um, Geordie, um, or, or have made it to today, uh, and continue to grow. Um, this idea and this, this opportunity to overcome the two-sided market problem came down to the unit economics of crypto and and so when with the when the market crashed that 30 to 90 dollars a month went down in sync with the market so so all of a sudden the low-end machine that was generating 30 dollars a month now generates five dollars a month the oh, high-end I machine see. that was generating 90 dollars a month now generates 15 dollars a month and it becomes a much harder value proposition yeah, to bring yeah. to market particularly okay. once you factor in that it costs electricity to run your machine, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, the markets weren't kind to us when we when we were first uh, pushing out this MVP. Okay, so you were literally like, was it two thousand eighteen? I think if I remember, it was in March or something because I was involved in in that big crash as well um, as a, you know as a investor. And so you're coming out, and it was still going down for like a year, right? Until it started to come up. Can you, you can you kind of walk me through that? Like, so it must have been very challenging. Was there times that you, that you were just thinking, oh, maybe we're wrong about crypto. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's too early or something. It's not, you know, people aren't ready for it. So I've never I've never conceded that that we're wrong with this idea. I, I I'm very absolute in my belief that there will be a compute sharing. Uh, uh, future ahead yeah. of us. The thing, the thing that is a real failure mode for us is timing. Are we too early? And so, and so that's where you know the volatility in these crypto markets could could very much produce a failure mode for us, where we just simply couldn't get the value proposition to resonate with gamers uh, at these very low unit economics these very low monthly rates of monetization so that's that's certainly something we have fought for multiple years 2019 2020 and then things really turned around for us in 2021 last year was just a massive growth year for us and really that came down to to um the unit economics and the crypto markets being being a little kinder to to our model Okay, so what are you what are you billing in, or how how do you pay in? So what currencies are we talking about? What what um, cryptos? Yeah, so so we're a rewards we program. About? We we don't. Um, okay. None of our users ever have have custody over anything fungible, and so so the the model here it's best best to walk through it from the the user's perspective. If you have a powerful gaming PC. Okay. You'll download our open source mm-hmm. software so you can see what you're installing. Um, you configure what we can use from your computer. So when we can use your CPU, GPU, how much monthly bandwidth, how much storage on your machine. We detect the host hardware. And based on that user config, based on the host hardware, the business logic then determines what's the most profitable thing for my machine. And that could be any number of proof of work protocols it could be a couple of b2b deals that we've now signed and um, so we can get to those later and then 
then when you're based on your configuration, when you're letting us or letting salad um, use those resources, you get a, a balance projected to you. So let's say you run for a week, you'll then have $10 or the equivalent of $10 in salad balance that you can then go and redeem a game with a gift card, a subscription, something like that. And business model for us, is we're custodians for all the coins, the value, the tokens, the value generated by the network. There's an element of breakage. There's some users who uh, abandon their balance. You know, a year later, they haven't logged in. There's yeah. a couple of cents there that'll eventually expire. But also because you can only make redemptions from our inventory, uh, we've got the classic distributor model where where or distribution model where you know we'll, we'll bulk buy many of these items and and then we take a, a a marginal markup on on those redemptions that are made so so for example discord nitro we've got a, a relationship with with discord um they'll have ten dollar subscriptions that we can buy at wholesale for a significant discount and and therein lies uh lies our margins Okay, so but how are you saying that you're tied to the crypto markets? Um, how how so are you tied to them? That's what I'm trying to to figure out. Got it. Which, okay, which in particular is it sort of a basket? It's a is basket. It like a basket of currencies is like. Okay, so it's... some people, so so some people are are talking in BTC ETH or Cardano or something like that, and um, and that's why when the markets go down. And from that, you're you're if because of the basket, it doesn't matter like which one it is. If they're all going down, then you're just making less. That's right. Yeah. So so all of this is abstracted away from the user, uh, but on the back end, uh, the, the, we see these dynamics. The user sees these dynamics in, in the form of unit economics dropping, but. To, to answer your question, the unit economics of proof of work mining, which is the primary monetization of the network today, is governed by, well, it's quite a nuanced subject. There's, there's a lot in it. But when the, let's say the price of ETH drops, Ethereum drops from 4,000 down to 2,000, we don't see the corresponding drop in what we call difficulty on the mining side. So the unit economics, if a machine used to make uh, $50 a month, it'll drop down to say 25 or $30 a month. So it's, we're very subject and sensitive to the volatility of the crypto markets. That said, okay. So, so that, yeah, that said the, the real opportunity here, I don't, we've never seen ourselves as a, as a crypto company. We are a distributed cloud computing company. And so because of our incentive model, it abstracts away the workload. So that means our network is workload agnostic. And if you compare a salad node, so a computer running our software versus a spot instance in the cloud, which is you know AWS, Google, Azure, we cost around one fifth the cost, and we can perform many of the same tasks, compute tasks that those spot instances serve today. So the long term opportunity here, now that we've built and we're maintaining this massive network of supply of compute resources, is to actually start competing with uh, with the cloud computing providers and taking on their um, market share of, of these spot ephemeral spot instances uh, and, and that's really exciting for us there's there's a couple of deals we've made on that front and um, the, the unit economics for, for for servicing b2b workloads are obviously nowhere near as volatile as as what we see in the proof of work crypto markets okay so I haven't been following that closely what's with what's happening with proof of work versus proof of stake but my feeling is that proof of work is sort of frowned upon now because of all the energy concerns 
is your model under threat because of of that you know you know, say like eth moving from proof of work to proof of stake is that going to eat into your market um you know the of viable computers that are or how is that going to affect you yeah absolutely so we, we've done the analysis on this and, and looked at the sensitivity here and and it certainly represents a drop in the unit economics for us but but like i said long term you know it's interesting one way to view what our network does today is is that it is a complete waste because proof of work really is just arbitrary uh, uh compute uh, or arbitrary algorithms uh uh difficult algorithms that, that the computers are uh, or problems that the computers are looking to solve um very easy to argue that's that's wasteful uh the, the flip side is you know it's securing and and verifying transactions of of these networks which hold incredible amounts of value on them these days but but that's absolutely a risk mm -hmm. risk to the business um on on this topic though it's here at salad we think it's a it's a it's a dangerous path to go down to start questioning the morality of how energy is spent because if if we start to question the value of proof of work where do we stop questioning you know is watching a netflix show morally good or bad because that too consumes energy and so um really where the focus should be is how are we generating our energy where does our energy come from is it renewable sources is it sustainable not how we use the energy it should be yeah we should be questioning how we generate it okay. but long term um, yeah fair enough yeah long term i um i see us unaffected by the proof of stake move because we'll, we'll we're really looking to serve b2b workloads which which will have us wean off proof of work and and have that only as a as a baseline workload for okay the Okay, so the, you're just using proof of work now because it's around. But if it, you know, if the market changes, that that's t completely um, independent of of how you can of your business model. You could you're just really working for the incentives of that excess uh, capacity of gamers, correct? That's absolutely right. And and I can't name names because we're under an NDA, but we we're working with a Fortune fifty um, on servicing a a, a big distributed workload that they have uh, we've got a couple of deals with service providers who, who are using uh, bandwidth from the network uh, we also have a couple of, of case studies we're working on with with startups in the AI space to, to distribute docker containers with yeah. machine learning um, uh, or AI workloads across the network so yeah eventually um, eventually we see a day where where um, Proof of work is is just the baseline. Okay, so as I understand, then when you first came out, your your original customer were these individual access capacity gamers. Is that correct? Is it, would you say that was your original customer? And now you're pivoting to these bigger, you know, enterprise customers that want to move away from AWS and stuff. Is do do I understand that correctly? Yeah, well, we're, we're a marketplace. So, so our original suppliers um, are our same suppliers today. Those are millions of gamers with their powerful gaming PCs. Our original customer is proof of work protocols, these Web3 networks. And their customers will, will look to continue serving well into the future. Uh, I believe we solve a real pain point for the Web3 space with the, the value proposition there uh, of, of decentralized infrastructure. But but yes, we are now starting to also introduce higher paying workloads across the network uh, for these B2B from these B2B relationships. And, and obviously, being a marketplace, that's to the benefit of our suppliers, it'll mean more income for them. Uh, was well, not income more rewards for them um, for sharing their compute resources. Okay, so when you were first going, uh, like, who was your original customer? Can you like talk to me about how you were selling? You got an MVP out. You got these gamers to come in. How many gamers did you need to have before you could actually start going out to these um, these other B two B or these other platforms that you're talking about? Yeah, we we've only really become meaningful 
for, for different workloads in, in sort of the second half of last year. And that was at the point where we had tens of thousands of daily active nodes, uh, all with GPUs contributing compute resources towards the network. So original customer remains kind of proof of work networks. That's a very nebulous concept, but our, our suppliers yeah. in this marketplace remain the same, which are, which are gamers. And now we have enough of them, tens of thousands daily active to, to, to have a, a network that's, that's viable for different workloads. Can you tell me how you first got those gamers? Like what was your mark? What was the marketing channels? What was, what was, uh, did you find successful getting in and getting these gamers? Oh my gosh, Jordy, this taking this thing to market has been incredibly difficult. Um, if you think about our value proposition, it's pretty uncomfortable. You know, when, when you're not using your computer, run this software and, and some other company or some other purpose will run on your computer. That's, that's a very difficult value proposition to bring to yeah. market. I, I, yeah, I see it being I can imagine because there's all kinds of security, all privacy issues, security concerns, you know, like how did you get through that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that the exact same concerns exist with any other software that you install. It's just a different mental calculation, this one. Um, and, and I see it being quite analogous to imagine 2008, 2007, I was pitching Uber or Airbnb to you. A complete stranger is going to pick you up in their car or a complete stranger is going to stay in your spare bedroom at night. Most people would have said, absolutely no way. Um, uh, you know, th there's dangerous people in the world. Now those two models are, are ubiquitous. So we've had the same challenge of introducing yeah. very difficult value proposition. And so circling back to your question, we, we initially tried, you know, pay-per-click advertising across different channels, Facebook, Twitter, Google, zero success there. This value proposition is way too nebulous, way mm -hmm. too radical and new. For, for those channels to be effective, particularly when you've got no social proof, mm -hmm. right? There's no evidence of this company existing and yeah. we're at the nexus of crypto and gaming, lots of scams. So, so the way we took this thing to market was through Discord, yeah. which is a big gaming chat platform, one-on-one -on -one conversations yeah. with individual gamers, yet yeah, convincing them of the integrity of the software. We open sourced it <laughs> and then slowly but surely we built up to say 100 nodes on the network uh -huh. and then the next big unlock for us was taking that same strategy of one-on-one -on -one conversations with gamers but applying it to influencers we worked with influencers so okay. those are youtubers okay, twitch streamers sense. yeah yeah shared the value proposition with okay. them that and then sense. they yeah they have a network uh, of subscribers with built-in trust built-in rapport and and that really accelerated our, our go-to-market is it through which did you find your main channel was always through discord is that where the gamers were the influencers yeah the influencers are primarily um i mean they're all on discord but but their their channels are twitch and youtube uh tiktok and and the like uh okay but our discord yeah we okay. got a community of fifty thousand people in our discord server okay and so when you first got started, it was, did you have your own Discord and you were talking to the gamers or did you go into other platforms and just like say, hey, I've got a, you know, a classic um, direct response marketing going for getting someone to, you know, chat with them and say, hey, would you like to try this? Or, you know, what was, what was that um, initial value proposition in the beginning? Yeah, it, it was... Um... It was primarily through through Discord. That's just where we found our initial traction and initial success and our ability to engage over a long period, you know, two to three hours of back and forth about who we are and, and what the value proposition is. Uh, and the value proposition r remained the same, which is, mm. you know, your resources, yeah. your computer is yeah. valuable. This thing's okay. worth... 30 bucks a month and and with it you can get a netflix subscription a game and a discord sub so uh, uh th that was really where we found that initial initial success okay 
and then you went to the influencers, you would convince them what was it was a sort of like a, um they would get sort of uh like classic um affiliation type type of commissions or something like that. Yeah, less so less so affiliate. Um we're, we're working on an affiliate program now, but more just a paid paid placements, um, you know, paid uh paid either pre-roll or, or mid-roll um, uh, 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 them spending 30 to 60 seconds talking about salad, who we are, what we do, how it works and, and how they've, you know, kicked the tires and, and found value from our software. And when, if you, this show is about finding your, your big break was the big break. It sounds like it, it came sort of midway through last year was that because of the general market, like the crypto market gaining attention and people like, hey, I can make some money mining or whatever? Um, is that sort of what was the big break for you to kind of see? We're like, hey, this is actually going to work and it is working. Yeah, I would say it was 2021. 2021, we had a 10x year across all the metrics, the network, the, the run rate. But but really, I think our, our 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 breakout moment preceded that, which was when we discovered influencer marketing and and the effective the the efficacy of that channel. Uh, we we spent say twelve months really trying to understand how to take this thing to market, what our go to market strategy was. And and you know we might have had mm-hmm. a couple of hundred machines on the network at that point in time. And then we had one deal with an influencer and we'd tried a few before, but one deal that, that kind of doubled the network overnight, doubled 12 months of prior work overnight. And that was, that was the moment we kind of realized, okay, this is, this is a huge unlock. That was this it, is, eh? That was probably it, Jordy. Yeah. Okay. And what was that? So what, like, what was, why did that influencer work? Was that the first influencer that you tried or, or why did that influencer particularly work better than some of the other ones that you may have tried? We did try influencers prior to, to this, this influencer. Um, there is a lot of noise and very little signal in influencer marketing. Um, because nothing is repeatable in influencer marketing, you you know, down to, down to the video itself. Even if you repeat, even if you control for all variables, um, variables being what platforms that YouTube or Twitch, what audience, uh, you know, demographic region, all that sort of stuff, what game or topic are they interested in? What influencer, even if you control for all of those and, and work with the same influencer twice, there's still variables in there. You've got uh, how do they actually deliver the ad, the 30 or 60 seconds, and does the YouTube algorithm pick up that video or not? So we've spent a lot of time internally. We track the performance and all of these variables for every single influencer relationship that we have. And and we're trying to find signal within that noise, but really it's, it's just as much as it is science. So I think the big thing that was different with, with this one influencer was we found the right demographic. We had the right value proposition. So the right reward, uh, within, it was a Minecraft related reward, excuse me, within our, um, our application and it just resonated. It, it worked. So, so, um, there's a lot in a lot of variables in that. So it was a lot of, it sounds like tweaking, trial and error, testing. Then you hit it with this one guy. You realized because you basically doubled everything in one overnight, you would say, hey, this is our channel, influencers. Was, was that essentially um, the story then? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, Jordy. That, that was definitely, definitely the big break for us. Most definitely. Yeah. And then from there, you just like, okay, we just need to find other influencers like this and trying to recreate this same type of scenario where everything's matching and aligning. That's right. Yeah. Then, then started to replicate and, and improve on, on that, that initial discovery. Okay. Uh, are, you at, are you at the point now where you have enough, uh, it's sort of on, you have enough 
um, of these gamers that are sort of word of mouth now and the network is sort of organically growing through the P2P relationship that they have? Is that, is that, have you achieved that? Yeah, word of mouth is the holy grail and we, we will get there. Uh, we're definitely starting to see that. And there's, there's certain features that we can introduce to facilitate that, you know, connecting with your mates through the app, earning bonuses for doing so. Uh, so, so all of that's in the roadmap ahead, but really I would say uh, we, we haven't yet kind of transitioned into, into that explosive growth phase driven by word of mouth. It's, uh, there's still a lot of influencer marketing to be done. And with this, this pretty radical new value proposition, it, it sometimes takes a few touch points to actually convince someone to install the software. You know, you might have to hear about salad from a couple of different sources before before you actually give it a go. But definitely the, the, okay. the most powerful referral comes from a mate, for sure. Okay. We're getting close to the end of the hour, but I just want to make sure I cover um, what your plans are for the future. Where do you see you guys going in, in the future? Yeah, we, we, see, we see the web being at peak centralization at the moment. Um, and, and we're not the only ones saying it. You know, the Microsoft CEO was talking about this at, uh, at Microsoft Ignite. Um, we, we see a future where our interactions online are very different to what they are today, where today all of our interactions, the vast majority of them, are facilitated by the middlemen of the internet and we are the product. You know, our, our personal data is, is used to, to advertise directly to us, uh, very targeted. The emergence of Web3, these P2P protocols, person-to-person protocols, these marketplaces, these ecosystems, these communities, it's a very different incentive model. And so here at Salad, we see us as a company changing our relationship with the web. And we see a future where millions of individuals will contribute their self-sovereign servers, their own computers towards these different protocols or these different, you know, ecosystems within Web3. You know, you get to power your favorite part of the the, the metaverse and subsequently uh, you get to participate um, using the value that, uh, that your machine, your computer generated. So it, it very much changes our relationship with, with the internet. Um, and that's something that uh, is very nebulous today, but over the next sort of five to 10 years, um, that's the change we see ourselves facilitating here at Salad. So you have, is this sort of a meta um, strategy that you're working towards? Do you see, are you trying to, is that what you're alluding to? You sort of getting, getting ready for metaverse and all that stuff? Yeah, we see, we, we were writing about the metaverse before it became a hot topic last year. We, we did a full blog uh, series of, of mapping mapping the metaverse and and um, we do see we do see that coming um, you know obviously Facebook's changed their name to meta now so there's going to be different versions of the metaverse there'll be closed you know centralized versions there'll be open peer-to-peer -peer versions um, we see ourselves uh, facilitating the, the open the open version of the metaverse and allowing individuals uh, uh, from all over the world from jurisdictions everywhere, through, through our open source software to, to choose what to power uh, online with their compute resources. And, and by doing so, they, they get rewarded so that they can then participate in this, uh, this new web and, and, and make uh, transactions and interactions and digital payments with, uh, with the value their computer provides. So uh, it's, it's, it's gonna be a very different internet five to 10 years from now. And, and I think we're still a few years away until that concept is, is really widely understood and part of the zeitgeist. Uh, um, and of the, you're, you're in a, obviously very sort of the confluence of some very exciting parts of, of, of you know, the internet right now with crypto, Web3.0, um, meta, you know, sort of P2P. Of all of those factors what are you what would you say is the most exciting or what are you the most bullish on um what's the most interesting for you to focus on in this sort of upcoming changes that you're predicting yeah you know this is an interesting question geordie because i i the thing 
I see being the biggest and most profound change is perhaps the thing that also scares me the most. Uh, the emergence of, of this incredibly interconnected kind of digital world that's emerging, uh, it's going to completely upend our social lives as humans. This is, this is very, very high level nebulous talk, but you know, the, the average American now spends seven yeah. hours a day interacting with the screen. And if, if you look mm. at how the new generation socializes the, the, the younger generation, you know, they're, they're not going home from school and then heading to the local park and hanging out with their mates on the swings. They are jumping online, playing video games, socializing through their computer and that's a trend that's only going to accelerate so so i think i'm most bullish on gaming and what that what gaming facilitates socially for people around the world um online but at the same time that you know as a millennial kind of scares me i'm, I'm a little bit analog um so so uh, but but i do see profound change happening mm -hmm. there yeah. Well, it's very, very fa fascinating, Bob. I, I want to make sure I respect your time, though, and um, uh, we'll drop you off now. Is there is how can people um, reach out to you if they have more questions on this? Obviously, we'll have uh, Salad Tech in the show notes, but how can people find you and find out more about what's what you're up to? Thanks, Jordi. Our website salad dot com. Uh, we've got a big announcement coming. A new website coming uh, mid March, early March. And, um, you know, you, you'll find me on Discord, you'll find me on LinkedIn, or, or, or uh, you'll find my email online too. So thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for that, uh, Jordy. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks so much, Bob. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.